and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this week we're talking about season seven, episode two, Back Up Dancer. I really enjoyed that pun this week. Me too. That was especially, for, for a Will and Grace pun, that was an especially good one. It was a very good pun. It was quite good. I, I recommend it highly. <laughs> All right, let's do the episode description before we get in. Sounds good. To it. So, this week, Jack wrangles his way into Janet Jackson's, guest starring as herself, performance tour as a backup dancer. Wow, that was so poorly written, Hulu. I, I, I would like, be weird if Janet Jackson wasn't playing herself. Yeah, I like, don't think that that was necessary. Janet Jackson, portrayed by... I, who would you even cast to play Janet Jackson? Latoya. Yeah, like that, <laughs> that would be weird. I just mean, like, it couldn't... Like, okay, Hulu, your copy editors, just take a moment. I'm going to make a suggestion for you. Jack wrangles his way into guest star Janet Jackson's performance tour as a backup dancer. See, this is what happens when we don't have, like, tight copy restrictions. Now that we're on the internet and copy can be as long as it wants to be, copy is bad now. Copy is bad now. Also, real talk, sometimes I don't think that young people can write. And I realize that makes me sound like an old man shouting at a cloud. But I now work with a group of college students, and every once in a while, I am concerned and and tess i think what what you're saying when you're saying you're an old man yelling at a cloud is that sometimes not even the clouds can write i mean when have you seen some good skywriting lately oh my god i don't know the last time i even saw skywriting see have it's a i dying ever art. actually seen skywriting i'm not sure i have i've definitely seen like a plane with a banner behind it one's very specifically for trojans during pride which was like a mouthful <laughs> so to speak Yes. Okay. Well, that was two minutes of our lives. We'll never get back. Should we talk about this episode? <laughs> yes. Let's let's go to the most pressing question I have after watching this episode, Tess. Mm-hmm. The most pressing question is, should I have anonymous sex to the music of Janet Jackson? And I think that the answer is a resounding yes. I had no idea that this was a thing that people did. I think I'm just a little too young to be like sus- a full Janet Jackson fan. I suspect that we're a bit young to be... Of the full gay Janet Jackson fan dumb. Like, I respect the aesthetic, but every time I hear a Janet Jackson song, I don't know it's a Janet Jackson song. And then when I find out, I'm really impressed, but then I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. Here's the thing, and I think that this is also relevant to what we wanted to talk about this episode. I think part of the reason that you and I have both never had anonymous sex to the music of Janet Jackson is because we were very young when her infamous Super Bowl nip slip happened. Yes, we were not having sex in 2004. That is not accurate. Okay, well, some of us weren't having sex in 2004. <laughs> but I wasn't having anonymous sex in 2004, <laughs> and God, I hope my mom doesn't choose this episode to tune in. Oh, no. <laughs> I just mean, like, we were... We were of an age where that very much so colored our experience of Janet Jackson mm-hmm. because she was sort of like on her comeback world tour situation. And then, you know, Justin Timberlake exposed her boob and then we all slut shamed her for reasons that are still not known to me. I'd say, oh, the 2000s, except that would happen today, too. Yeah. On the bright side, at the very least, that entire cultural moment did coined the term wardrobe malfunction. And that's a good term. That is a good term. I Why think... were they performing together at all in retrospect? I think it was just like one of those Super Bowl halftime show things where like it didn't make sense. But like they was... couldn't like the one year where they got like three bands and then one of them was Beyonce and she took over the show. 
Yes. Like, I'm imagining, like, that level of, like, everyone's a little famous, but no one's actually a headliner. Yeah. I think that was the year, what was it, Coldplay and Beyonce and then Bruno Mars for some reason? Like, it didn't... I want to say the Red Hot Chili Peppers were involved, but I may be conflating two separate Super Bowls. I do believe you are conflating two separate Super Bowls because I vaguely remember us living in Milwaukee still. Mm -hmm. And we went to watch the Super Bowl. Yes. And... I was briefly seeing a dude. I was seeing a man um, in like a dating kind of way. And I didn't <laughs> like Coldplay. And so we were texting back and forth during the Super Bowl about how neither, neither of us enjoyed Coldplay as a musical act. Yes. I I can tolerate Coldplay, but I will agree that the period of time when Coldplay was on the Super Bowl was when they were doing their worst music. However, I do believe this was around the time that Beyonce released Formation. Yes, because I think she just like came on stage and it was it literally felt like it was a military takeover it of did. the Super Bowl it halftime show. It sort of felt like Beyonce was staging a coup and yes. I would have been on board with it. Yes. Think of the alternate timeline where Beyonce actually overthrew the government that day. And when I say that, I specifically mean we're going to stage a coup. <laughs> All right. That's enough Crazy Ex-Girlfriend references and talking about Janet Jackson's nudity. Um, but so basically the plot of this episode, if you recall from the end of last week's episode, is that J-Lo did Jack a solid after she fired him and got him in with Janet Jackson. Which was very nice. That was extremely nice of her. And so then now Jack is going to be Janet Jackson's backup dancer. And right. so we join him in this episode as he attends his first rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then there's this weird there's this weird joke that happens throughout this that I still cannot parse out. And if any of our new listeners in Missouri could help me out, maybe you'd know. I'm worried about what you're going to say the here. Jo- they kept making a joke about how Jack was the new guy and then referencing as if he'd like... They all knew that he shaved his pubes or something. Oh. They kept being like, you're the newbie. And then he'd be like, I shouldn't leave my dressing room door open. And I'm just like, I do not understand this <laughs> joke. And I still don't. <laughs> I would like it stated for the record. I do not know what that means. My concern is that it's like some sort of like a reference to being nubile and young. And it's like a Lolita thing and like Nambla and shit. That's very concerning. I hope not. I was worried that you were going to say you didn't understand the joke where she kept saying like five is a good number. No. I really feel spiritually that- <laughs> connected to that. I, I was wonder like, why. Yes. Like, <laughs> no, that is we a joke have I a understood. Talk. Let's discuss Janet Jackson's preoccupation with the mysticism of numbers. Yeah, well. We don't have enough time for that podcast. (laughs) To harken back to last week's episode on Kabbalah. (laughs) But, okay, so basically we we join Jack and he is number six of of six backup dancers. Mm -hmm. And then um, we meet another backup dancer. Who is Will Arnett. Um, He's playing a man named Artemis Johnson. Which is a whole name. That's a name. I would like it stated for the record that while I'm normally all about fucking the gender up of names, Artemis is a lady name. That like, is, it's literally, like, the lady name. Like it, It's a goddess. Yes, it's the goddess specifically of not being a man. Yeah, like, she's, like, the virgin warrior goddess. Yeah. Like, she ain't got time for that shit. Like... I don't understand. And, like, I, this was the argument I made all through middle school about Artemis Fowl being a book series. And I was just like, no, not going to work for me. I'm really into Greek mythology, just like all the other gays. Yes. That's a whole different podcast. That's all. We have, like, just pitched, like, seven podcasts I this know, week. right? Vote for your favorite podcast spinoff now. On your phones. <laughs> text us. Wouldn't please it, don't text don't us. Don't text. How do you have our numbers? <laughs> if you do have our numbers, please text us so that we can report you to the police. 
Well, I'm really against police as like a thing, but I would maybe report them to my phone service so they couldn't text me anymore. I'm also against the police, but in this scenario, I'm going to call the police. I guess seeing as there's no <laughs> alternative to the police. Yeah, it's not like you can call like a different police. Like, hey, cool police. Wouldn't it be great, though, if there was like another police? Oh, God. <laughs> like if there was like there's the police, but then there's like the alternative police. and like If, if there was an alternative police, our neighborhood in Philadelphia would totally have them. Can we go to a community meeting and suggest alternate police? We want alternate. <laughs> no, not alternate police. Alternative police. <laughs> Meaning very specifically that they're really into indie bands. (laughs) And they like wear artfully ripped jeans and they don't carry guns because they're not into that. And none of them have ever smoked or drank because we want only straight edges in Mm -hmm. alternative Yes, I'm feeling it. Snap, snap. Snap, snap, snap. Snap, snap, snap. Did you know that snap is an Americanism? I didn't. I learned this from my beautiful girlfriend who's a Kiwi because she was like, yeah, and then people click their fingers. And I was like, the fuck did you just say to me? Wait, they don't. I thought you meant like snapping after someone says something no, cool. Like you mean like, like literally the, the word, word snap. snap, meaning this sound that you're hearing. I am blown away. Me too. I'm blown away. We have so many other podcast ideas. Everybody. Oh my God. We got to get back on track. Let's focus. I want to talk about Will Arnett really briefly for a second because I think it's interesting that he wasn't listen to the episode description. Yes. And I'm wondering if I don't have a good sense of Will Arnett's career. I suspect this might be a Neil Patrick Harris situation where, like, he's a little famous, but, like, he's way more famous now than he was when he appeared on the episode. I suspect that may be the case, because this is pre... Like, he's probably on Arrested Development by this point. I was going to say, I don't... When did Arrested Development happen? I want to say that was 2005. Early 2000s. You know what? Let's take a moment to just consult. The I want to say it was two thousand three to two thousand five, because I think I honestly think it was. It might have been the Super Bowl show after the Janet Jackson Super Bowl. Oh, you appear to be correct, sir. It was from two thousand and three until two thousand and six. So yeah, he yeah. would have been on it, but he may not have been like Will Arnett as made famous by Arrested Development. Well, because no one was made famous by Arrested Development, famously, in fact. Famously, no one was famous by Arrested Development. I mean, at least not in the time period when it was running. That's true. Um, It's actually, I'm not really even sure how anyone from, like, I'm not really sure how people realized that Arrested Development was a great show, since it's so far back that, like, it wasn't immediately on streaming, because that wasn't a thing for another, like, five years. Was it maybe DVD sales? Maybe. Okay, we need to get back on track. I feel like this is a totally different podcast, but I feel like Arrested (laughs) Development was, like, the last cult series before streaming. I'm sorry. And I don't understand how that makes sense. Every time you say this is, I just want to be like, this is us. (laughs) This is us was actually filming in our neighborhood fairly recently. Oh my God. We're so excited to finally see our neighborhood. Ironically, that Rita's has been closed for like last week. And I'm like, did this is us like buy that Rita's and shut it down? (laughs) Um, Not important. You might just be coming home after they close every day this week. But it was like closed on Sunday too. I think it's always closed on Sunday until late. No Rita's on Sundays. Ha! <laughs> um, this is a very weird plot line, not just because we keep not talking about it, but also because there's just not really that much there. Yeah, there's not very much there there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean... The setup is basically that Will, Arnett, and Jack, good save there, are having a dance-off. Yes. Um... To prove whether they can be part of Janet Jackson's five dancers. Yes, because she decides to cut from six to five because she feels very spiritually connected to the number five for some reason. Right. Um, So they decide to cut between either the newest dancer or the oldest dancer. 
and being Will Arnett and Jack. This is funny because I feel like Will Arnett isn't that old in this time he period. He may be like the oldest dancer of the troupe. Yes. Is that but, what a group of dancers is called? The troupe? It could be, yeah. Posse. A, a posse a of dancers. A gaggle of dancers. Uh, I think it's a gaggle of dancers only if they're all gays. I see. Yes. Again, you're allowed. Yes. Um, but it's just, it's a weird episode because like it's, it's played very much like it's about to be a episode where Will Arnett's character interacts a lot with Jack. Yes. And and, and then it's not. Yeah. Then we kind of get like a bait and switch. Yeah. That, we get that kind of twice in this episode, actually. A little bit. Yeah. So then basically we discover that Karen knows Will Arnett's character, Artemis Johnson, and they once had a toward affair in Seattle, mm-hmm. which is apparently relevant for reasons. Yeah, they were really up on it being in Seattle. Like, several references to Seattle. Um, So then the episode just becomes about, like, Karen having a rebound relationship after her rebound relationship from Stan. Yes. It's like a double dribble situation. Yeah, I don't think that that's allowed in, in basketball or, yeah. or in life. So she tells Jack, uh, so she tells Jack that he should throw the dance. For Artemis Johnson. So that she... So that nothing important happens to her. Her lover isn't unemployed or something? Right. So that her lover can go on tour and never be around? I don't know. But so Jack being... At first, he's dancing his little heart out. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. And then Will Arnett, like, I don't know, throws his knee out or some shit. I I think the exact phrasing is... Has someone seen a pin? It came out of my knee. Yikes. Or something like that. Something like that. But yeah, so he, um, so Jack does throw the dance mm-hmm. for Karen's friendship because reasons. And then Janet Jackson hears someone say the word four. And then she's like, four. Four is a good number. I think I shall have four dancers. And then Will Arnett gets cut anyways. Right. But then there are no consequences to that. Right. And then we, of course, learned that Will Arnett's character was never going to be with Karen. He just wanted to use her to get the spot in the dance group. Yeah, that was actually the... That, that was the second best part of the plot line. The first best part of the plot line was when uh, Jack told Karen that he couldn't believe that she was betraying him with Artemis, his arch nemesis, after it so recently happened with Fival, his arch rival. <laughs> That was my favorite part of that plot line. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, that but, made up for that. That made up for the fact that he was named Artemis to yeah, me personally. Yeah. So, but then that, that's it. That's the whole plot line. Jack is not a backup dancer for J- Janet Jackson, and Will Arnett's not on the show. The end. <laughs> the end. A story I guess. by Will and Grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like that's the whole thing, though. That's, it doesn't go any further than that. It's like it's, I think we've actually been talking about this plot line longer than the plot line was on the episode. Yeah, like it's clearly the a plot of the episode, and yet there's just nothing there. And yet, yes. So let's talk about the more substantive B plot. <laughs> um, this is also kind of a bait and switch plot. A little bit. There's all there. This one almost has like too much there. There. Yes. This. I don't want to say it should have been two episodes because it's not quite long enough for two episodes. But I wish that it was an episode where Jack and Karen were more integrated into the plot so it could have been the whole episode. Yeah, it's sort of the the two bits of the B-plot that happened sort of feel like they were originally pitched maybe as two episodes. Mm-hmm. And then they went, mm, we don't have another plot to go with them, so we're just going to shove them in. So here's the setup, basically. Grace is very sad about being divorced mm-hmm. or separated or whatever she's doing right she's now. She's sad that Leo cheated on her and that her marriage is over. Right. And so she's just being very needy. 
Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's being needy and she's just doing weird things. Like, at one point in the episode, Will comes home and she's upset because her wedding video is on and it's on every channel so she can't look away. Uh-huh. And I don't honestly know how Will has the strength not to just rip the TV out of the wall and throw yeah. it through the window. She's just watching it and crying and then, like, tries to, like, can like guilt Will into staying yeah. to watch the video with her. And then when that doesn't work, she tries to, like entice him by being like, ooh, but your hair looked good that day. And it's very it's very strange. She's like doing this I don't I don't even know how to like describe this behavior. It's sort mm-hmm. of like self flagellating. Yeah. But she wants Will to flagellate with her. Yeah, it's like she would like it to be a group activity. Which I've heard is very popular, but nonetheless not appropriate for I this time slot. I think that that is BDSM and That's NBC after dark. <laughs> Also known as HBO. <laughs> uh, but so she wants Will to like sit there and basically wallow with her. Uh-huh. And Will is... Not of, interested in that. Well, he's kind of game to a like a, a small amount of wallowing. I guess. But, but not, not quite to her level. And in the meantime, he's also trying to balance his relatively new relationship with Vince. Uh-huh. Um, and so we sort of see him struggle to and ultimately fail to like negotiate those priorities yeah so we see on multiple occasions he's like with vince but then leaves the situation with vince to go take care of grace's newest issue yeah it's a weird setup because the way it's introduced it makes it seem like the character who's gonna learn the lesson this week is grace and grace is gonna learn a lesson about not wallowing in your sadness and grace never learns that lesson no in fact she maybe learns the opposite lesson and that lesson is invite your best friend's boyfriend to wallow with you right like, instead, what we get is that, like, at some point, like, I, I can relate to Will, sort of, because it kind of feels like the rug gets pulled out from him some, at one point in this episode. Yes. And, like, in a, on a meta sense, like, Will got pitched this episode, like, metaphorically, as, like, okay, it's an episode where Grace is a disaster and you've got a sexy boyfriend. And Will's like, yeah, and I can make that work. And they were like, nope. And so then, like, all of a sudden, the entire episode's like a referendum on Will's balancing of these two relationships and yeah. his inability to prioritize Vince over Grace? Yes, or Grace over Vince and, like, balancing that out. So one of the central pieces of that is that Vince is trying to get Will to come meet his lieutenant. Yes, I think that's who it is. Because he's a cop. Yes. Um, and Tragically, Vince remains a cop. Tragically, Vince remains a cop, even though we don't believe in cops. Right. Um, and alternate cops. Or fairies. <laughs> don't say that. I just brought a twink back to life. <laughs> um... I do believe in twinks. I do. I do. Okay. Focusing test. So, but like the thing we also, we'll get into why Vince's boss is the worst in a moment. But, yeah. So Will like kind of leaves this lunch, which is an important milestone for them as a couple. And then yes, it becomes a referendum on the fact that Will cannot handle balancing both Grace and Vince. And Vince sort of is like, you have to pick one of us. And then Will's like, no, because if you date Will, you date Will and Grace, you know, doing the thing. Which is a very, this the most meta the show's ever gotten. And then Vince like, is like, that's stupid. No. And like, <laughs> first of all, as as a Will and Grace, yes. I must say, Vince is wrong here. Yes. But also, I appreciate that Vince is like, Vince is kind of operating like, have you ever looked at maps of the solar system? And you're like, oh, that's so cute. All the planets go around in like a nice little circle. And then it's like, what the fuck is Pluto doing? (laughs) 
Like, Pluto's just, like, coming in at a funny angle. It's like, cool, guys, I've been here for 300 years, but I'm gonna go over here now. Like, that's what Vince is to me. Like, Vince is just, like, he'll be trotting along the episode, like, playing along with everybody else, and it's like, surprise! He's like, fuck your solar system, I'm here! Right. Like, it's it's very weird. Like, he doesn't play by the same rules as the other characters. You know why? Why? Because he's gone to therapy. It, you know what? You're not wrong. It's because he's gone to therapy. You're not wrong. <laughs> but, like, he's the only romantic partner any of the characters on the show have ever had who's so Pluto. Yes. He, like, he doesn't quite exist in, like, actual reality. Mm-hmm. But he also doesn't quite exist in the, like, goofball reality that the show sets up. He, yes. like, somehow exists, like, in that Pluto-ish middle ground of the two. Like, he has a completely realized life outside of the Will and Grace show. But also, in that realized life, he's a complete disaster. Yes. Like, what? what is his thing this week where he's talking about being a cop, and it's like, oh my god, you're a really bad cop. He... Oh, it's when he's he's chasing a suspect. <laughs> and then he realizes... Past Will's apartment. He realizes that he's still angry at Will for ditching him at this lunch. So he goes upstairs to yell at Will in the middle of this police chase. So he doesn't take it out on the perp. And like... So he doesn't get suspended. Again! Again. And, like, I'm not going to question any way that a police officer chooses not to pursue police brutality. I'm always in favor of no police brutality. (laughs) However, it seems like maybe there might have been a middle ground between just leaving the perp chase... And not beating a man to like, death. Like, I wish you could have seen that. I wish I wish we could see that. Like, I just kind of want a picture. I want him, like, jogging after a perfect. Like, hey, stop. Hey, wait, isn't that Will's apartment? Wait a minute, that's Will's apartment. Hang on a second. I'm <laughs> still feeling kind of ways about this. Yeah, and, like, he and his partner are, like, running together against the green screen. And, and then he's just kind of like, well, see you later. <laughs> like. <laughs> it's so weird. But then, but then again, the, the rug kind of gets pulled out of from under Will again because then he's like I, I, okay fine I, I choose my boyfriend but really Grace I choose you <laughs> and it's like and he's like you can't stage whisper I'm right here and then the whole thing just gets additionally flipped because as you know as Vince is like about to storm off being like you need to sort out your priorities he sees Grace's wedding album and he's like is that a wedding album and then like completely <laughs> zeroes in on it and then won't hear a word that Will has to say because he's too busy being like uh is that your husband looks like a bum i'll go get his car booted like <laughs> what right like I, I i appreciate grace and vince's friendship yes and yet in this episode i am like what is happening it sort of feels like drugs i don't know it, it just, does feel like drugs it feels though like, it feels a little like drugs. the plot line feels like drugs it feels like being on drugs it feels like being on drugs Let's- like you know when like you're like too drunk and you get like the spins. It a little bit feels like the spins. But then sometimes the spins start going the other direction, and that's usually when you puke. Oh, is that what happens? Nor- Here's the thing. I'm so The few times that I've had the spins, I've been like, oh, no, no, no. I got this body. And then I'm like, I'm going to put a foot on the floor so that I'm anchored. And then normally I lose my balance and throw up. So I don't know how to manage the spins, but I've never noticed them going in the opposite direction because I've already fallen on the floor. <laughs> Okay, speaking of people falling on the floor as a disaster, let's briefly take a moment to discuss Vince's boss. Yeah. And like, like, this plotline already holds together so tenuously for me that introducing the fact that Will and Vince have to go to lunch with the homophobic racist boss who's only not anti-Semitic because Jewish people are rarely perpetrators nor victims of crimes as Vince weirdly puts it 
which is probably inaccurate, but I'm not up on some crime statistics. I, yeah, here's the thing. So I, we get the preface when he's introduced as a concept that he is homophobic and racist, Mm -hmm. but then the show, it's like he drops every possible like racial and ethnic slur that isn't the n-word it's like and i learned some i know i, like, I had thought the show was a few being like what is that a thing we thought the show was making some of them up we're we're upset now yeah, that they like, were not now i've learned more racist and ethnic slurs like what yeah it's like it's like this guy heard about this game and it's called oppression Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Oh, no. But he didn't Google what the rules were. He's like, oh, all right, I know how to play this game. You're I'm a man, so everyone. Yeah, you, you oppress just keep oppressing them all. Right, and when you win, you say Yu-Gi-Oh. It's like bingo. Bazinga. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was really jarring to have that be the backdrop of Will like being kind of a bad boyfriend. Yeah, because like. It's also very frustrating to see Vince as a character who clearly, like, finds this man morally abhorrent, like, still. But, like, it's, I feel like Vince is kind of in, like, the, um, um, Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine position where he's like, oh, if I can just outlast this guy, I can affect some real change on the NYPD. Right, but then you realize that Vince is a fucking disaster and he will (laughs) never affect any real change on the NYPD. Literally, like, the most change he could affect is if he was defending, like, the mayor of New York and he accidentally shot him. <laughs> like, that's that's the level of change he could affect in the city of New York. Remember when he was first introduced and he, like, forgot his gun? All like, the time. Like, I think about that constantly. He's such a bad cop. <laughs> but, like, he bonds with Grace, and that's fine. That's that's the episode in a nutshell, friends. Nothing made any goddamn sense. No. I just I just can't get over... I can't get over the, di- the lunch. And, like... From a writer's perspective, I don't understand why the boss had to be a homophobic, racist bigot. Honestly, like, it, I... It hurt them. It did. Right? A little bit, I'm sort of just like, could they have maybe just picked one? Or, like, why couldn't the boss be a good boss that Vince wanted to impress because he keeps getting suspended all the time? Right, or even just, like, a bumbling but well-meaning boss. Like, sometimes I think the writers of the show are living in, like, a reality where they're like, if people aren't mean to the gays, how will they know that our TV show is breaking boundaries? I would offer to take that a step further, <laughs> that sometimes it feels like the writers of the show are like, if if people aren't mean to the gays, how will they know they're gays? Because we can't let them do gay things. You're not wrong. It's like the only way they can perform their queerness is to be, be oppressed. oppressed. I think we just galaxy brained Will and Grace. Oh cast. my god, just like <laughs> Wow. This wow. episode deserves an Emmy. <laughs> For like short form <laughs> podcast or I don't oh, I don't know what the awards are. We're such bad podcasters that I could not name to you a single podcast award. I think the Webbies are still a thing. Do they? Do you? Can you get an award for a podcast? I thought that was just for. I mean, YouTube. they're on the web, right? Missouri, <laughs> I implore you again. Can you tell us what awards we could win, but we know we won't? And nominate us for them, I guess. Yes, nominate us for all of the awards. I think at this point we've earned a lifetime achievement award for most useless <laughs> podcasters, the most off-topic conversations in a single episode. Hey, we cracked 
the Will and Grace galaxy brain style. You know what? Also, I would like to retract that statement. This is not the most off-topic conversations because there was one episode of Gilmore Guys that I listened to once <laughs> and I straight up turned it off because they did not even talk about Gilmore Girls for like 45 minutes and it was like a two-hour long episode. I mean, we did have a special video episode once where we just sat on my bed. Yeah, but we were talking about ourselves and that is our appeal, I think. I mean, that's a good point. Right? That's right. a good point. Right, Missouri? <laughs> Missouri, come on, help us out. I'm just going to keep addressing the entire state of Missouri until I forget that we accrued a bunch of viewers in Missouri. Tell me I'm okay, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That's it. You got anything else for this No, episode? I'm out. I'm all out. Okay. Well, now that we're all out, Matthew, would you like to tell people where they can find us on the internet so that they could potentially nominate us for a Webby or whatever? When you're filling out your Webby Awards, please put the following social media accounts in the requisite spaces. Our Twitter account is Not A Couple Show. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Tumblr account. You can also send us an email at notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and you'll definitely want to tell every one of the Webbies where you can listen to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Yeah, that's it. Fabulous. Wonderful. Amazing. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for listening this week, and we're sorry. (laughs) We're so sorry. We're so sorry. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. This week's episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Meow. Hi, Eliza. Meow. Oh, no. This week's episode is sponsored by Alternative Cops. We're like cops, but better. And we don't have guns, so please don't shoot us. That was good.